Welcome to Precept Responsibly, a podcast working to make precepting approachable over happy hour. I'm Jason Mordino. And I'm David Hughes. Let's get into some precepting. Welcome back, Precept Responsibly listeners. I'm Jason Mordino. Uh, we're excited to introduce you to our, our episode four, Coaching, Mentors, and the Difference. Uh, we had a, a lovely time talking with one of uh, our, our longtime uh, colleagues on Twitter, Kamakshi Rao. We're super excited to share this episode with you. Um, it is going to be uh, a special two-parter. Uh, your first episode you're listening to today, and the second episode is going to come out as a special uh, release on September 29th. Uh, it'll be the only time we're going to do this kind of two-part series. We'll continue with our every month uh, third Thursday of the month release. So uh, expect something coming out in October during uh, pharmacy week. Dave, what have you been up to, dude? Anything Anything changed since last month? Yeah, you know, interestingly, I, I have switched roles a little bit. I recently um, left my, my role at, at Boston Medical Center and, and took a job as a, as a field medical director um, with Pfizer. Um, I still have an active role um, and very um, passionate role in the preceptor world and, and developing you know, new skills for learners. So uh, excited to be in this new role um, and continue on with this podcast. And you know, I think on part of my, in this transition, I think part of me is always like an advocate of self-reflection and you know, mentors I've gained along the way, different opportunities I've had, coaching strategies. And I think it's such a nice segue into this episode that we'll be talking about with Dr. Rao today. Um, but did want to give a, you know, a shout out to the, the mentors I've had along the way. Um, I think it's a great transition in this episode. Happy to be in a new role, but uh, more excited to, to be part of this podcast and continue to develop and, and, and be here. How are we going to continue to trust you as an expert in precepting? Yeah, uh, I knew that was, I knew that stab was going to come. And, you know, it's such a, I, I, I you know, in all seriousness, I, I think like, you know, I've had quite a few years in the, in the preceptor world and, you know, we're going to continue to bring on guests across the country. Um, I have fun doing this. I've learned a lot. I continue to learn from people, but screw you, Jason. I am still going to be active in this room. <laughs> I couldn't help myself, Dave. I know like when you first came to me and told me like it was super devastating, like we were super sad to see you go, but like always supportive of, of anybody's career transition. And I, I think I did a much better job of holding myself together in that moment and, and being a supportive colleague and uh and friend. But um now that we're removed from it for for a few weeks, uh, the the hits are gonna keep coming, buddy. Why don't we uh, get into the episode, introduce our guest, and uh... get into some precepting. Dave, what are you drinking tonight, bud? I am drinking an interesting title. It's called Pulp Daddy. It is a juicy, hazy New England IPA. I'll give us a, a shout out to um, one of the GU oncologists, um, Dr. Janak at Boston Medical Center, that that gave me this. Um, yeah, so it's a New England IPA. I, uh, I picked up a athletic brewing Ironman personal record just for today. Since we, we broke a thousand downloads in three episodes, we'll, uh, we'll keep it up. Um, you know, it, it brings me a lot of great pleasure to, uh, welcome on, uh, to the podcast, somebody that I felt is kind of a, um, 
and I think they felt this way too, kindred spirit in, in the residency uh, education realm, still trying to figure it out as we go. Uh, somebody I've looked up to for a long time and super glad to um, bring onto the podcast. Uh, welcome, uh, Dr. Kamakshi Rao. How are you? I'm great. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. This is uh, kicking something off of my bucket list. I was like, oh. I've never been on a podcast. I don't even know what this is, but hopefully we can do it right. The, the grandma in, in Dr. Rao is coming out. We, we were at a conference not that long ago and, and you know, she's embedded a and, and claim to fame as she knows just as many grandmas as everybody else um, considers herself a grandma in the pharmacy world now. I am. I am. I actually met one of my youngest mentees. So an old mentee of mine who's a resident and she introduced me to her mentee. And she introduced her introduced her to me as this is your grand mentor. That's a great word. Grandma, grand mentor. I gotta say, we 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 as a profession could use more grand mentors. Uh, we, we got a lot of mm-hmm. got a lot of young guns, young clinical pharmacists out there. Um, we could use some folks with some experience. So I uh, love to hear. For sure. it. Um, what are you drinking tonight? So I had all intentions of matching you with a North Carolina beer. I figured I needed to show you up because I actually Googled it. North Carolina has 380 breweries. To balance okay. the 130. I actually did her homework. I did. I did. She did more homework than the, the I don't study for us. much, but I studied for this. But I did not succeed in getting to uh, getting to the grocery store. So um, I uh, my second career would be as bartender, I feel like. Pharmacists make very good bartenders because we are precise. We follow recipes. And so I have a lemon drop martini made with uh, brown sugar, simple syrup. Ooh, brown sugar, simple syrup. So cheers. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So, so Kamakshi, um, I guess to, to get us started, can you give us a, a little bit of your background, training, experience, your current role? Who are you, Dr. Rao? Yeah, awesome. It's a long story, but I'll try and shorten it. Um, so I have been a pharmacist now for she's 22 years. Um, graduated from Rutgers University College of Pharmacy back in 2000, did a PGY1 at VCU Health Systems, and then a two-year oncology and clinical research fellowship at the Cancer Institute of New Jersey. I worked at the University of Pennsylvania for a couple of years as an oncology investigational drug services pharmacist before uh, making it down south. Um, I've been at UNC for a little over 17 years now. Um, Started my career here as an inpatient clinical specialist rounding on the leukemia, lymphoma, and transplant services. Um, And then, you know, my my journey at UNC has really been amazing. I feel like I've reinvented myself five times over. Um, saw a need for improved roles in transitions of care and ambulatory services, so was able to justify a position and moved into the clinic for a couple years. Um, That's when I also took over the PGY-1 residency program, the service program director there for about seven years, and then had the opportunity to step into a manager role overseeing all of our residency programs. So we, we now have 14 residency programs. Um, And I've kind of grown my scope um, over time. And now I serve as an interim director of pharmacy. I oversee our academic enterprises is what we call. So our residency programs, our student programming, our partnership with the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy, and most recently um, providing interim oversight for our acute and ambulatory clinical services. So a couple little hats there that I wear. Couple. 
Just a few. My goodness, 14. You have almost as many residency programs as I have residents. <laughs> um, we have four, 14 programs, 41 residents. Oh, 41 yeah. residents. The little village. Oof. That's a lot of people to mentor, a lot of people to support. Uh, hats off to you. I love it. I love it. So through the, I mean, you know, you bring up this, you know, all of the, you know, the, diff the differing residency programs, a, a ton of different learners. How did um, this process all start for you? And, you know, I imagine you're a mentor to many um, now. And, you know, we made a joke about being a grand mentee, you know, and I'll walk us through like how all of this originated um, in, in your background. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think, you know, walking into a clinical role as a pharmacist, one of those things that you hear over and over again, it was definitely true for me was teaching was part of what I really wanted to do. It's in my genes. My mom was an English teacher. So I feel like that sort of, I grew up in that. Um, and I very much enjoyed teaching. I really enjoyed precepting, you know, that moment of connection, the moment you see the light bulb go off, uh, it meant a lot to me. And I, I found myself really gravitating in that preceptor role. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like part of my way into being a clinician, probably like five, six years in, I started to recognize that, yeah, I have this skill to teach rote information, get someone to understand how to be a more efficient clinician, how to work on their process. Um, but I also found that what my, what my residents, what my students were really resonating with was just the guidance you can provide. I feel like they're, they're trying to approach big decisions in their careers, in their lives. And sometimes it really helps to have someone with perspective um, to share with them. And so that's when, you know, really developing that skill as more of a mentor um, came about to me. Um, I remember, you know, I, I tell people I'm very good at brainwashing people into liking bone marrow transplant. I am a bone marrow transplant brainwasher. Um, but it was really, I had a, I had a resident that came on to rotation with me and, you know, she was like dead set on doing one particular specialty. She's like, I'm not interested in oncology. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do your rotation. And I was like, well, thanks for telling me that on day one, uh, let's see what, where it goes from here. And by like a week and a half, two weeks into it, you know, yeah, y'all are both preceptors. You know what it is when you find that learner, they just get it right. The pieces click and you see them getting it. And so you know, I pulled her aside and I was like, have you ever thought about doing this? And she's like, no. And I was like, you really should because you're really, really good at it. And she was like, huh, that gives me something to think about. And uh, she went home for the weekend and came back and she's like, I really love this actually. I was so focused on where I was going that I didn't stop to pay attention to where I was right now. And it was like, that connection with someone being able to guide them into that that really gave me so much reward and that's where you know i started learning better to like listen in pay really close attention to how people are performing what's bringing them joy and trying to tap into that a little bit to help people discover like maybe a direction they didn't even know they should be taking um so that that really helped me take that step from what i felt was like more like old good preceptor to now like mentor and you know hopefully what we get into a little more today is what's that next step um you know mentorship is one thing um but there does come a point where you know as a mentor i feel like the approach is very much like i've walked that walk i see you over there 
let me show you how to walk the walk and what I did. Um, and then there does come a point, I think now in the past five years or so, I've been out of practice, I've been out of school, out of training for 15 years. It's hard for me to say that I understand what it is to be a PGY1 or a PGY2 resident anymore, or someone who's like two years into clinical practice. I can tell them what my life was like then, I can still remember that, but it's just not the same. It is not the same world when I look at you know, students pursuing residency, residents looking for jobs. It looks nothing like what it looked like for me. So it would be disingenuous for me to say, hey, this is what I did. You should do it too. Because the world is not the same. Their life is not the same. Absolutely. And I think that's where I should, you know, I feel like I struggled a little bit at that point. I was like, how do I approach this? Is it time for me to like hang up my coat as an RPD and a mentor because I'm, I'm so old? Mm. I'm not relevant anymore. It's funny you mentioned that, Kamakshi. I've been feeling the same way just, just sort of recently. Um, I was connecting a lot with how you really talked about um, helping that person identify that there was potentially that role for them that they didn't know was there. And, and I think actually about how I got into being an RPD, I ironically like came back at this weird transition of BMC. Uh, I started as a trauma critical care pharmacist and I was like dead set. I'm going to be the best trauma critical care pharmacist to like hit this place. I may consider PGY2 RPD and critical care, but at the end of the day, like this is what I'm going to do. And then um, my old RPD, who happened to be my boss at the time, uh, put like a random meeting on my calendar and he sat me down and he goes, so the RPD position is going to be open and I think you'd be a great fit. And then proceeded to tell me why he thought I'd be a great fit and why he thought it would be a great experience and, uh, you know, maybe potentially open some doors. And I, I was originally like, no, dude, like, generic PGY1 RPD, not for me. Um, and then started to do some thinking about it and like really did see how I fit into that role. And had I not had that conversation, never would have opened up the door, would have blown right past it and said like, yeah, you know what? I'm not interested. I'll wait for the whatever thing, flashy thing I thought I wanted uh, to come along. Yep. And and that person will give you that little push is really important. Um, so I, I really like uh, connected with that. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, um, how do you get to know your mentees well enough to know like what their interests are? How do you connect with them on that human level so that you can understand how to, um, give them some guidance? Yeah. I mean, I think like the, the mentor mentee relationship is to me, one of the most important ones I have benefited from amazing mentors. I would say, you know, I have a mentor today, I just had a phone call with her last week, and she's been my mentor since my PY3 year in pharmacy school. And that says a lot. Um, and so I, I reflect a lot on the mentorship relationships that have influenced me. So, you know, my method of mentorship, though, is different. And I think that's a really, that's a really important thing to, to talk about. We're all different sorts of mentors. So there's no one recipe for good mentorship there's only like the right blend between mentor and mentee. Um, and those, you, you know, you're going to meet a number of people who are qualified to be your mentor or your mentee, but you're only going to meet a couple who truly get you and can connect with you and the people that you'll listen to when they give you that advice. So I would say, you know, there, any special, I would say like, there are, there are questions that I think you should ask. Um, they are things like, you know, there, there's basic, there's the, you know, low stakes 
low vulnerability questions like what's your preferred time to meet? Is it okay to meet inside of work hours, outside of work hours? Um, you know, what's your communication style? Are you a more direct communicator? Do you like tell it as it is or do you flourish a little bit? Um, you know, having, having discussions about your background can be helpful. There is something to be said in that young clinician relationship. You do want someone who tracks with you a little bit. So if someone's experience is nothing like yours, it's going to be hard to find that common ground that mentorship is really steeped in. Um, there's only, you know, doing a residency, doing a training program is only one piece of it. There's other ways of how we experience that that really drive that relationship. And then you really have to ask yourself as a, as a potential mentee and a mentor, like how comfortable, how comfortable am I getting vulnerable with you? Like when, when the cards are down, when you've walked out of rotation as a resident and you feel like that was the worst day, you did not do well. Are you going to be able to pick up the phone, call this person and be like, can we chat? And are you going to trust what they say? And that's like that. It really is so individual. Um, but I think you have to ask those questions like, how do I approach you? How do you communicate? Um, you know, what's the best advice you've gotten from a mentor? Because then you start to think of like what resonates with them. Is that the stuff that resonates with you? Uh, yeah. And honestly, you try it and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And that's okay too. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick your brain a little bit on on that exact phrase Kamachi and and it seems like you know over time you, you kind of build your experiences up as a mentor but nevertheless like mistakes happen along the way um for even even to the, the point of forcing mentorship because you want to be a mentor you're told to be a mentor I, I guess how can, can you share maybe some experiences for like the new mentor and maybe some of the pitfalls or challenges you've you've had along the way for sure. I, I do. You know, I think like this, you bring up a really good point, Dave, is like this idea of forced mentorship. We all remember like being assigned like an academic advisor at school, right? Like this person is your advisor. So you're supposed to set up office hours and go fill your guts and share your share your vulnerabilities. I mean, you're really lucky if that worked out. Um, so, you know, I, I do think you need to stack the deck a little bit more in someone's favor to find their mentor versus just here's a list. We're going to pair you up. Go go be vulnerable together. That doesn't work. Um, you know, so like I, I'll share, you know, what something that, you know, we've developed over the years in, in my program at UNC is we do, we do mentor mentee speed dating. Um, so at the beginning of the year, I collect a list of preceptors who voluntarily submit their name to say, I'd like to serve as a mentor. I um, gather their speed dating profile, which is like, where did they train? And then I give them, um, free reign, they can write their dating profile however they'd like to. And it's really, it's really amusing to watch the, the breadth of what people come up with. Some people are very by the book. Some people write like sincere mentor dating profile. Um, and then we release the residents for a month and we're like set up coffee date, 15 minutes, just like feel each other out. And then my residents submit sort of rank lists and tell me like, why did you connect with this person? What was really, what did you feel was that right connection? And then I go to the mentors and ask them, who did you meet with? Who did you feel like you could support the best? And really it takes extra time. It takes an extra step. But at the end of the day, like you watch those relationships over the year 
really be a lifeline. And that's what mentorship can be in the early stages is a lifeline. Um, there are points in all our careers where you need someone who's just going to buy the beer and hold space for you. Dr. Rao's, Dr. Rao, mentor, speed dating. I love it. I think that's such, that's so great that you like, you you know, all jokes aside, like really putting people together and letting them learn like relationships to foster, right? Because there's going to be mentors that really vibe and and can connect with a person because they've shared those relationships. And there'll be others that just have maybe different, um, different personalities or or different ways of connecting. It doesn't make them a bad or good mentor. It just, it's a better pairing. So I I really love your, your philosophy on that. Um, So thanks for sharing that. Should we title the episode yeah. uh, "Okay Cupid RX"? <laughs> All right, change your Twitter <laughs> handle. That's it, Kavachi. <laughs> I'm not sure I want the traffic that'll come my way if I do that, <laughs> uh, or yeah, what people will, in, or, or what people will interpret. From yeah, no, Cupid definitely, RX. Yeah. definitely not. Definitely not. What is like a professional, like interesting, awesome idea? could very easily get adulterated very quickly. So yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. Um, well, thank you uh, for sharing. I, I really like the idea of like speed dating. Um, one of the things that comes to my mind uh, is when you think about like mentorship in the professional setting, you're right. You were talking about it, about your speed dating profiles. Like some people are like, we're going to talk only about you know, surgical critical care. And like, that's the thing we're going to like mentor each other on. Or, on, or oncology, like where the yeah, cool kids no, are at. No, 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 no. You wish. Uh... <laughs> you know, funny story. My my decision was between critical care and oncology. This I thought is, I was going to go critical care. But you know what? Critical care talks about people like their organ systems. Oncology talks about people like they're human beings. Ouch. Oh, yeah. shots fired, Dr. Rao. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll continue this debate on Twitter, uh, I'm sure. Um, but like when I think about mentorship, so yeah, you got those people that are like super by the book. You got the people who are super broad and like they want to talk about like their dogs and their family and like these types of things. Like how do you envision scope of mentorship and how do you set those boundaries as you think like, oh, I'm a mentee and I'm a mentor. Like what is appropriate? Oh, I mean, I feel like that's a difficult question. Again, I'm not trying to, not trying to make a one- like a one-stop answer, but it's very personal. It's very individual. Um, you know, I definitely have had learners or mentees who are very much like, this is where, this is like, I go inside these lines. We talk about this. I don't share this part of my life. And I think like as a mentor and a mentee, you have to respect that and sort of evolve the relationship as it goes. Um, but I will say like, I think it's, it's unfair to, judge a book by its cover, your first experience with someone where someone, you know, establishes those walls, establishes those boundaries, that's healthy in some ways, right? You don't really, most of us don't necessarily want someone who are like, hi, let me tell you my life's darkest story. You you sort of find your way there. Um, So I think feeling yourself out can open up those relationships. Some of the more rewarding mentor-mentee relationships I have had have been with those people who were a little bit harder to crack who are a little bit harder to get to know. Um, But if you've ever done like Myers-Briggs, right? We do a Myers-Briggs inventory and we do a a facilitated session. Um, My my residents, my mentees who have had more introverted personalities, I feel like while for some it might be perceived or even my mentors 
who are of that introverted personality. It may seem at first that they're much harder to connect with, or they're not as like open and willing to share. But I think on the flip side, once you get to know them, once you invest the time, like the depth that comes from that is like unbeatable. You get such depth and such connection. I feel like they say like, you know, extroverts get to know everybody just a little bit. Introverts get to know a few people super deep. And I think it all depends on who you are as a mentor, as a mentee. I, I mean, I think like for sure, right? There are those common sense ways where you don't want to go beyond boundaries because there is scope. But some of my best mentees like have been in my wedding. I've played at their weddings. Um, so that's the beautiful thing about like a strong mentor-mentee relationship is that it can evolve and you learn to mentor them about things more than their professional roles. You learn about how they, how they bring that integration into their life as well. It sounds a little bit like uh, transitioning to like the next phase of mentorship, which potentially um, we'll touch on in a minute. What I want to, yeah. I, I do want to hone in just a little bit deeper uh, on some of the mentorship sure. stuff um, before we transition into our next conversation. Um, and, and one of the things I think about is like, how do you as like maybe the person who oversees a mentorship program, how do you set guardrails? Like what are your basic oh. set of standards so that like just your mentors sure. function in like that role? And um, maybe there's not like a like crossing boundaries that like the organization sets. Et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up. That's, I think that's really important. Um, so I'm glad we get to talk about it. I think, you know, when you're when you're setting out, it feels kind of not arbitrary because really thoughtful in that pairing of mentor and mentee, but then you want to set them up for success. So what's the recipe you give to people to try and make that relationship work? And I think at first you, you give them basic guardrails. So our, our rules of engagement, you must meet with between your mentor and mentee a minimum of once a month. Try to schedule that monthly meeting Towards the, towards the beginning of a rotation so you can reflect on the previous rotation and empower yourself to give information to your next preceptor. Here, here. Um, we, ask, we ask our mentors to actually come to our resident quarterly evaluations. And that's because mentors bring a new perspective. So if you're an RPD and you're providing feedback to your resident to say, hey, you know, this month was a struggle for you. There was, you know, there was this and you missed this deadline your mentor may be able to come in from the side and be like, can I provide a little bit of guidance? You know, maybe, maybe not something personal, but maybe like, did you realize that there were all these other deadlines and also they were handling this. So I think a mentor provides great like couching perspective to make sure that as an RPD, if you're an RPD for more than one person, it's hard to be that in the weeds with everybody. So I kind of use mentors as like my, they're like, the fingers on the pulses, right? Your mentors are going to be the first one that sends up the flare signal when someone needs help. Um, but they can only do that if they have a regular cadence of communication. So you cannot let a month go by without connecting with your mentor. Um, because, you know, if, if you only reach out to a mentor or if a mentor only reaches out when things are going poorly, that's not mentorship. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and you and, you know, I, I like, I think through this and, and I love your perception of, of mentorship and I guess like in the, in the busiest of times, what's your perspective on still not crossing that, that arbitrary line of making it so much or like a to do 
in having the mentor like feel empowered, like this is what I want to do. This is like, I don't want to be told to meet monthly for a cadence. I don't want to do this. How do you make that come up more naturally? I know it's probably like a hard question. It's probably like individualized, yeah. but what are what are some of your your thoughts on that to make it so it's not so, you know, forced, if you will. I keep coming right. back to this term of forced. Yeah. Or you, you don't want it to become rote. You don't want it to be on someone's like checky box to-do list because that's, you know, you're hoping that it's something beyond that. I think, you know, framing it from the perspective of, so if we're talking about students and residents, right, there is a, there is a defined period of time. There's a finite amount of time during which these learners are trying to grow so rapidly. So, you know, a mentorship relationship between a learner and a preceptor, a learner and a, and a mentor is really important in that short period of time, three months may not seem like very long for those of us who have been working for 18 years, but it is a quarter of a residency year. A lot can happen in that time. And so I think framing that conversation with my mentors who are like, I got really busy and I really can't meet this month. I would counter back and say, number one, like we can find a way to make it work. Maybe this month is not the month that you, you go out to dinner and spend in an ex extended period of time, but you grab lunch at the hospital and at least touch base because you have to keep that cadence going or you're catching up too much and you've missed a quarter of the year. So I think framing it to sort of be like three months may not seem like that long, but put yourself in the, in the shoes of your learner an entire eternity has passed. That's, that's so helpful. And I, I guess thinking of it, of this maybe to, to an extreme, is there a time um, that mentors can fail mentees like, you know, I mean, the simple thing, right, is, is, is maybe not meeting, but I guess what are, how do you like mentors fail, quote unquote, their, their mentees in, in practice? Well, I will tell you like the greatest failure a mentor can make to their mentee is not protecting their confidentiality. Like that mentor mentee relationship is sacrosanct. You, know, you really hope that that's a relationship where you can rehearse and practice life before you have to go out in the real world and execute on it, right? So that, that relationship is sacrosanct um, and it should be treated as such. Um, there are rules, like if a mentee shares something vulnerable with a mentor and a mentor goes straight to an RPD and says, hey, you know what, my mentee let me in on this, you should know and you should follow up with them. And the RPD comes back and says, hey, your mentor let me know that you were going through X, Y, and Z, let me come talk to you about it. You've just, you've really, you've ruined that trust because as a mentor, you're a jab. Um, so this is, you know, one of my ground rules. So I have 40 residents, right? I said, I do one-on-ones with the residents at the beginning of the year. So I have, I just finished up 40 one-on-ones last week. Um, but one of my rules with them is when we meet in my office, Vegas rules are on. That means what we talk about here doesn't leave here unless I tell you about it. If you tell me something and I feel like I need to, I need to read someone in on it, I'm going to tell you first, hey, I'd really like to bring your RPD in. Hey, do you mind if I just reach out to the preceptor? You can tell me what role you want to play in that. Do you want me to completely whitewash you out of it and figure out how to anonymize it? Is that a word? Um, or do you want to come with me and I can help guide that conversation? It is so important that you maintain the trust. So I would say the biggest way mentors can fail their mentees is if you lose that trust because you don't protect that relationship. 
I think like the other thing that's going through through my head is like just from my own personal experience is, is, is like sometimes balancing your your hats is like a preceptor and mentor because sometimes they can they can almost combat each other. So I can I, I can think of a time where like a, as a preceptor to a resident, a PGY two, where like I'm hounding them, hey, I need you to read these trials or I need this topic discussion here and this X right. And as a mentor, I'm like yep. you know you, you really have to prioritize and like think through things and it's it's not okay it, it's it's okay to not take on too much and I, I found myself wearing two hats and ultimately felt myself yeah. failing as a mentor when the preceptor hat wanted to overtake it on in, in the same role I, I hope that's making sense but you. almost like if you're playing two different <laughs> roles right how do you, you are. how do you take on the, that role of a mentor but but still like think of it through as a preceptor and push the resident forward yeah, that's a so hard spot, they, Dave. You know, it, that, I mean, that's a tough spot to be in. And, okay. I, and I think, you know, many of us have found ourselves there where you want to be, you want to be the strong mentor, you want to be the strong guide, but you also need to give very firm direction and you need someone to, you know, work to, to meet the requirements of a rotation. I think one way to try and protect that um, during residency, especially, is you know, like we have a rule. I have a rule like no PGY2 can have a mentor in their specialty. So, my oncology residents are not allowed to have an oncology clinical specialist as their mentor. So, that was like when you need to complain about your own program, it's kind of hard to do that to one of the preceptors in the program. So, we actually specifically pair the PGY2s with mentors outside of their program, even for my PGY1s those that come in already like honed in on a particular specialty, we do not assign them mentors in those specialties because then you're, you're, you're blurring that line and you're doing it ahead of time. But I think, you know, if you're a preceptor, you're also serving as a mentor in many ways. You know, there's no strict line. Like I am not a mentor. I am a preceptor. Um, so, you know, I, I do think there is value in literally telling them you're taking off your hat. Like I have had those conversations. Here I am putting on preceptor hat. Let me give you this guidance. I'm going to take that off and I'm going to put on my mentor hat and give you this perspective um, so that you actually give them both. You know, people are, people in residence are, they're capable of taking in like conflicting feedback and figuring out how to make that work for themselves. Um, but I do think it's, it's unfair to tell you that you should stay in one lane when you have skills to practice across both preceptor and mentor. Absolutely. I think um, as I'm reflecting on on both of these like failure situations, um, it's like the loss of your mentee's humanity, like that connection that is like really driving like a lot of the like what you can do to fail your mentee, like as soon as you violate their trust or, um, mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you don't give them your insight your insight that you have from your other hat at the same time that you're you're showing them their one hat you're kind of abusing that relationship a little bit uh and so it's important right. to be able to communicate all of those those pieces so that they can maintain uh that human connection to you uh as an individual and i i think as i'm reflecting i think that's like one of the things that i um I kind of heard as a common thread between the two of those and i'm sure we could think of probably 30 or 40 more examples of ways to like dehumanize um <clears throat> you know to dehumanize like the mentee mentor relationship and and make it less about that connection and anytime you do that um you're you're likely failing uh your mentee yeah. 
You know, I think it, it brings a good point because I think there is a lot of desire from young clinicians to transition into being a mentor. Like so, like I hear so many brand new clinicians who are like, I can't wait to mentor, like throw me in. It's my first year as a preceptor. Let me mentor. And I definitely want to, because for my residents, honestly, like nothing's more exciting than connecting with someone who is like right out of it and ready. Um, but there's, it's such a, it's such a fine balance. You really need to give those young clinicians the, the prompts and the help. Um, and some of that comes from us as those who are more experienced. Um, and so like we will run preceptor development sessions on strong mentorship skills. How do you, how do you develop yourself? How do you develop that relationship? What are thoughtful ways? What are ways to avoid breaking trust, but also what are ways to establish boundaries? You know, there's, there's those young clinicians that, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to be friends with residents. It's a great thing. Um, honestly, as like the, the, the 47 year old, I'm like, God, I miss being friends with my residents. They think I'm so old now. Um, I was like, I wish they would invite me to hang out with them sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty cool still, I'd like to think. Um, but you know, uh, you have to, you have to talk to them about like, where do you, where do you do, where do you at, where is the importance in setting those boundaries in the relationship so that residents can safely trust in you? Um, cause there's something different about going to a mentor than there is about going out with someone of the evening for just a night of fun and just hanging out and venting. Venting is necessary, but venting is not always what you need to do in a mentoring session. And so Absolutely. I think making sure that there's clear guidance. Sometimes I'm just here to hear the vent and I'll let you do it for a while, but then after a while, I'm going to move into mentor. I'm going to make you move into the constructive. So I think giving our young, our younger mentors some skills to help them avoid those pitfalls or watch them, let them develop on their own and watch closely. And if you see them starting to air towards, like if they're going towards a pothole, you just steer them too. Just like you're steering your residents, you grab your preceptors and you're like, hey, you're, you're, yeah, let's talk, let's, let's write, let's right size this ship of mentorship as well. They need it just as much. And in, in some ways they need it more. Absolutely. I'm not gonna be mentoring my whole life, so. How do I get them to do it so that they can pass it along as well? All right, listeners, thank you again for joining us for the first of the two-part episode with Dr. Kamakshi Rao. We're going to take this moment to pause. We will see you in two weeks, September 29th. Make sure you subscribe so it automatically shows up in your feed. We'd appreciate a review. If you've got another minute and a half to tune in, next up is uh, Dr. Sutton giving you a quick summary on today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to 60 Seconds. It's like 60 Minutes, uh, but it's a review of a pharmacy podcast, and it's nothing like 60 Minutes. My name is Spencer, the resident young man of Precept Responsibly, and here's my takeaways from this week's episode. First, mentorship versus coaching. Uh, we're going to be getting into both of them. Uh, I will be focusing on the mentorship aspect. What is mentorship but a relationship that we build with Appy's individuals in our own careers uh, where we can look at them and provide guidance? I think that was the big takeaway from this episode and the discussion with Dr. Rao is that mentorship is a focus on providing recommendations based on your own experiences. Um, you are going to be able to provide guidance and these theories that the residents, the learner might not be at a state where they are able to consider. You are going to be posing these questions and helping lead them to an appropriate answer or decision. 
Additionally, the scope of mentorship is, in part, is incredibly important. How do you build that relationship without you know, overstepping boundaries? And from Dr. Rao's explanation, it really is going to be something case by case. It's important to develop these or relationships organically and build a mutual degree of trust. Speaking on that trust, um, we posed the question of how can you fail a mentee? And that was the main focus. Um, we can do many things right, many things wrong as mentors, but the one thing that we must always understand is that when we are told something in confidence, we must respect that confidence because the mentorship really just boils down to a relationship of trust. If it does come a time where there would be a benefit, of course, to expand that circle of trust, engage others in some of that discussion, you must always get approval from the, uh, from the mentee. Taking all that into consideration, I personally, I don't know about you, but I personally am excited uh, to really contrast those elements and those theories with coaching. Um, so tune in and join us next time with Dr. Rao as we take a look at coaching, mentorship, and what's the difference. Hope you all enjoyed today's episode. We thank you for listening. Uh, I just want to remind people, if you have an idea for an episode or you want to drop an audio comment or question, uh, you know, record yourself 30 seconds uh, on your phone. Send it to us uh, at preceptresponsibly at gmail.com. We also are on social media, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Find all of our episodes on your favorite podcast providers. We also have these as videos on YouTube. Today's episode was produced by Spencer Sutton. Music by Alex Kroll. That's it for Precept Responsibly. I'm Jason Mordino. And I'm Dave Hughes. Until next time, thanks all for listening. Welcome back. <laughs> We're the worst at this. <laughs>